Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler, and today I want to talk about spring training and my early impressions of the Orioles so far. Now, if you watched our last or listened to our last episode, I talked about how performance in spring training doesn't matter a whole lot. You know, I kind of I kind of diced that up in 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 one way, which was box scores and stat sheets don't matter a whole lot, but peripheral numbers can be informative of where the player currently is in their progression to getting like ready for opening day. So I'm going to try to thread that needle here today and, and try to not rely too much on like stat sheet numbers and more on peripheral stuff. But at the same time, it's, it's tough. You, you get caught up in the excitement of early spring, but just kind of know that in the back of your head, that's sort of what I'm trying to do right now is, is mold the two together. So let's talk about it. We're a weekend in to spring games. We've got two games under our belt here. I'm recording this on Monday, February 26th in the morning. So I haven't seen uh, any of the games that have happened this week. So take that with a grain of salt. If you're listening to this, maybe after today's split squad or something like that. But of course, you know, the big exciting news coming into the weekend was a certain Orioles starting pitcher and coming out of the weekend is a different Orioles starting pitcher. So I think we're going to start right there with the player that I think has kind of grabbed headlines and that's going to be left-hander Cole Irvin. Uh, last year, Cole Irvin, I think was something of a disappointment for Orioles fans. He'd been traded for in the previous offseason, was expected to come in and be sort of a steadying force in the Orioles Orioles rotation, which we knew was without John Means, had a very young kind of core there with Kyle Bradish and then the rookie Grayson Rodriguez. Irvin was going to be kind of that 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 steadying force. And that just didn't really happen. He came in, walked a lot of guys, giving up a lot of hard contact, wasn't going deep into games, just really wasn't the kind of player that the Orioles had sort of um, advertised him as coming into the spring. Flash forward a year, you know, I think a couple weeks ago, we probably weren't thinking Irvin was going to be in the rotation to start the year. But now in late February, we know Means is down for the start of the year. We know Bradish is down for at least the first month, two, maybe more. Irvin is likely on a path to be back in that Orioles starting rotation on opening day. And I think that has had fans a little bit on edge. But now following this first performance from him in the spring I think we've done kind of a 180 here so if you guys missed it Irvin threw two scoreless innings against the Pirates and the Orioles were on the road here so they were facing largely the Pirates a squad now we know the Pirates are a team that's kind of in between right now I don't know that anybody is necessarily expecting them to come out of the NL Central but he only faced six hitters and the first five were O'Neill Cruz Brian Reynolds Key Brian Hayes Jake Sawinski uh, Rowdy Telez, and then the sixth was Yasmani Grandal. Like those are six legitimate big league players, right? Big league hitters. And Irvin went through them like a buzzsaw. Two innings, three strikeouts, faced the minimum, had a 40% whiff rate. And then the big thing, the big, you know, headline grabber was his big uptick in velocity. He topped out at 95.9 miles per hour on his four seam. And that would be harder than any pitch he has ever thrown in a regular season major league game now you know i hadn't really paid attention to Irvin too much apparently some of the reporters are saying like yeah this is what we've heard about him is that he's he's gained a little velocity this offseason he's been putting in some work so specifically the work he's been putting in is apparently he's been doing a lot more lifting this offseason at a place called phoenix physical therapy in north carolina and then he's worked with this place called tread athletics in north carolina as well and what they've helped him do is kind of turn that added strength uh, and therefore velocity into like some honed improvements on the mound. And, you know, we saw it. It's it's one outing, but it's very impressive. 
And it wasn't just the four-seamer, apparently, that he's worked on, or, or you know, not just the velocity behind the four-seamer that he's worked on. He's also been tweaking his grips on some of his other pitches, uh, specifically his cutter and his sinker. And Irvin stated in an interview with Masson that sort of his, his uh, thought process here is that he needs to be more competitive against right-handed batters, which, you know, makes a lot of sense for any pitcher, but especially, especially a pitcher that is going to want to go through an order multiple times, which Irvin right now is, is going to have to do as a starter. So, you know, if you look at his numbers in his career, he actually really doesn't have splits um, as far as OPS is concerned. Right-handers have actually done a bit worse against him. They have a 740 OPS for his career, whereas lefties have a 748 OPS. However, last year, there was a gap there, specifically in the slugging department. Uh, last year, righties hit 441. They slugged 441, rather, against him, and lefties slugged 333. Of course, those numbers are a little bit mixed because he was starting, then he was in the minors, then he was in the bullpen, then he was starting again. So it was a bit of a weirder situation last year. But all in all, you know, that kind of indicates, hey, I need to get a little bit better against righties if I'm going to have a shot to be the kind of pitcher I want to be. And it sounds like he took that... Um, that information to heart, put in the work. And now right now through one spring outing, which again, take the big grain of salt there. He looks really in, uh, impressive. Um, I'll link in the, in the description of the podcast and of the YouTube video here that uh, a Baltimore banner story that goes a little bit more in depth on what Irvin did this off season. And it's really interesting to, to hear about that. You know, we hear about the Orioles pitching lab all the time, right? It's we've had these veterans come in for a year, um, like Jordan Lyles a couple seasons ago, Kyle Gibson last year, the Orioles have worked with them and kind of made them the best version of themselves for, you know, guys that are over 30, you know, don't have elite stuff, but still competitive. And the Orioles have helped Lyles and Gibson have really solid years late in their careers. And they've turned that into um, additional contracts after they leave the Orioles, which is is really good. It's, it's really impressive. Now, Irvin's a little bit different uh, place in his career right now where he's still got some team control here and potentially positioning himself to just be more of a consideration for the Orioles rotation in the near and the long term. Um, obviously, this is only a two inning outing. You want to see him do it over longer stretches over at least a five inning thing. But it's early in spring. We've still got a whole month until opening day rolls around. You don't necessarily need to see the guy go four or five innings today. So nonetheless, very impressive. And it could also totally change the Orioles rotation going into opening day. We know as we said, Bradish and Means are out to start the year. Means, again, as I've said before, doesn't sound like he's hurt. It's more of just an intentional slow play of him to make sure he's at 100%. But if Means can come back um, sometime in April, maybe that allows Tyler Wells to go back to the bullpen, which I've said before. I think I would prefer Wells back in the bullpen versus Irving, just the, the, the stereotypes or the prototypes, rather, that each of them are. I think they fit in those roles better. Now you've got two lefties in Irvin and means who are decent i think irvin seems like a fine back of the rotation guy means when he's at his best i think is a mid rotation guy on most teams in the league you know you mix them up with dean kramer in between now you got lefty righty lefty back to the top of the rotation which is which is righty that's a pretty enticing group there uh, i'm not going to get overly excited right now i want to see another outing from irvin there and again i'm not going to worry about his results too terribly much because maybe he wants to have an outing where he just throws his cutter exclusively for half an inning or something like that but you want to keep seeing these numbers these these stat cast type numbers um really jump off the charts at you if he continues to string along 
multiple outings where he's throwing almost 96 miles per hour with his um, fat four seam fastball. And then his cutter is getting some weird, uncomfortable looks from batters in the, in the uh, batter's box. Then that's a really enticing thing for the Orioles and for Cole Irvin. And it's, it's jumping him up a level from where he was, even when the Orioles got him, where we viewed him as a innings eater veteran presence. This, you know, I don't think it's going to loft him into a Cy Young discussion or anything like that. But if this gets him more into like a legitimate rotation piece long term, then the Orioles have really found something here. And that could be really exciting for them and for Irvin. So keep an eye on Irvin as the spring goes on. I wouldn't say he's guaranteed a rotation spot right now. But if he pitches like this and the Orioles don't go and get anybody else, I'm not sure how you could conclude that they're going to put anybody else in the rotation um, above him. I would view Tyler Wells as potentially more vulnerable than Irvin simply because of, like I said, um, the skill set. I, I could see the Orioles going and, and trying to get a veteran um, that they could they could plug in for half a season and then they would prefer Wells to go back to the bullpen. So keep an eye on Irvin these next few outings. Um, an interesting storyline early in spring that I don't know that everybody um, expected a couple of weeks ago. Now, before I go on to the other pitcher, I want to remind you all to, if you like the show, if you like what you're hearing, what you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to us uh, on your preferred podcast app or on YouTube, totally free. And it helps us reach other people. Also, you can give us a like if you're on YouTube and you can comment down below, maybe what you've been uh, thinking about early in spring here. Again, more comments, allows the algorithm to go to work, let us reach more Orioles fans, and that's what we're all about. I think we're at 171 subscribers right now as I record this. If we could get to 200 by opening day, that would absolutely be immense, and we'd really appreciate it. So please get involved, subscribe to us, follow, comment, like, all that jazz, um, and uh, we'd really appreciate it. Now moving on to Corbin Burns here. He looked as good as advertised. So there's not as much information on Burns because it doesn't seem like there was StatCast data at Ed Smith Stadium in the opener. But, you know, again, we're going to rely on some box score stuff. He only threw eight pitches, I think two strikeouts, um, one inning pitched. He looked great. He looked like everything you want. Um, and I think that's, you know, he threw one inning. Some people were thinking he'd throw two. I am perfectly happy with whatever progression Corbin Burns wants to explore throughout the spring is exactly what the Orioles should do. This is a guy that's been around the league for a while now. He's going into a season where he can make himself a lot of money. Not that he hasn't already, but going to be a free agent after the year. You know he wants to put his best foot forward. Let this guy go in the way that he wants to and feels the most comfortable. Looked fantastic. And, you know, I don't think there's anything to really keep an eye on there. Um, I saw an article get brought up that last year he pitched a lot at the knees for the Brewers. And there were fans kind of clamoring for him to go upper up in the zone a little bit more. And he didn't really do that in his first outing. He kind of stayed at the knees. But again, that could be a progression thing. Maybe he's working on something right now. But all in all, not too much to conclude about Corbin Burns. He looked great, looked like an ace. And, you know, hopefully we keep seeing good stuff from him. Moving on to some of the younger guys, uh, Enrique Bradfield, who was the Orioles' top draft pick last year. He's center fielder. He got into a game, went one for three with a stolen base. Um, the stolen base, I think I saw, was like 29.4 um feet per second was his um speed on the bases which is the fastest sprint speed or for a stolen base yet this spring again we're only a weekend into it but that kind of shows you what bradfield brings to the game he's very fast he would be the fastest player on the orioles right now potentially the fastest player in all of baseball you know he had to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with bobby witt jr for that but that's kind of what he brings to the game 
don't look at his exit velocities too much. They're never going to really impress you, I don't think. But look at his work in the field. Look at his work on the base paths. Maybe he's a top-of-the-order guy in the future for the Orioles. Maybe he's more of a bottom-of-the-order guy that can can get on base and cause some havoc there and maybe win a gold glove in the outfield. I think it'll be interesting to watch him. He's obviously not a guy that's going to make the opening day roster. He hasn't played very much minor league baseball yet. Um, but obviously a guy to follow um, in the minor leagues throughout the year. And I think depending on what his development is, paired with how Cedric Mullins performs this season, we'll know a lot more about what the future of the Orioles outfield looks like. Um, I think we learned that the Orioles aren't necessarily going to trade away a veteran to make room for a young guy. They're going to force that young guy to really, to really um, push the message home and make their, you know, impact known on the major league field first. So even if Bradfield really crushes it in the minors this year and Mullins is more average than superhuman, I wouldn't think the Orioles go, okay, it's Bradfield's time. Let's trade Cedric for whatever we can get and promote Bradfield to the major leagues. I wouldn't think that would happen. I would think more it would be um, Bradfield could potentially push for a major league role next year. He would still be second fiddle to Mullins, I would think, for most of that year. And hopefully at some point you start to see the torch be passed. Not not because Mullins is going to want to do that. I, I wouldn't expect that. But Mullins will be a free agent after next season. And if Bradfield is positioned well to take over in 2025, I think that would be ideal for the Orioles. Again, I don't know that you're going to trade Mullins because the Orioles should still be pretty good next year. And if they are pretty good, Mullins is likely a part of that. But if Mullins is playing well enough to the point that he becomes a qualifying offer type guy, then the Orioles are getting draft pick compensation. They've got their in-house solution for center field long-term in Bradfield. Again, this is a dream scenario. And then they turn that draft pick for Mullins into more prospect capital long-term. I think that becomes, you know, more of what we see versus the Orioles, you know, barreling, hitting the bottom of the barrel, struggling really bad on the field, and then taking five years to rebound. It's going to be more of this um, cycle of, of things that I think Michael Elias would prefer. So keep an eye out for that. Again, not something to really impact the 2024 team, but potentially the second half of the 2025 team. And, you know, it's always fun to see the first round draft picks come up for their kind of first taste of big league action and see how they do and see if they hold their own. Now for a guy that has been around the big leagues a little bit is Colton Kowser. He's off to a nice little start in the Grapefruit League. Hit a walk-off homer in game one. Uh, in game two, walked twice and flew out. But that fly out, I think, I think was like 105 miles per hour off the bat. So again, some really good peripheral data there is, is cows are hitting the ball hard, seeing the ball well, getting a couple walks, stole a base. Um, he's kind of showing off that whole package. I think another element for him this year is going to be looking at his work in the outfield. I think the Orioles would love if he could play a little center field, at least competently. And then that makes the big league picture, picture much simpler because we know Ryan McKenna is out of options. They have a decision to make there. They're talking about having Jorge Mateo play some center field, um, you know, he could rove around a little bit, but if Kowser could come up and just straight up be like the fourth outfielder that also probably plays the outfield three or four times a week in terms of giving days off to Hayes and Santander and, and Mullins, that I think is the dream scenario, but I don't know that we're there yet. And he's also closer to a finished product as far as, you know, fitting center field in there. I know he's played it in the minor leagues, but I think that's that's what the one thing that potentially would be holding him back from from playing time right now because he's going to be going head to head with Heston Kerstad for playing time in the corner outfield and we know there's going to be some time there with Anthony Santander likely shifting to a little bit more DH and first base is what it seems like. 
So for Kowser, if he can play some competent uh, defense in center field, that would really set him apart. But at the at the plate, we know he struggled in the big leagues last year, but was fantastic in AAA, was fantastic in the AAA playoffs. Um, you know, that's where he really needs to shine to actually, like, you know, make an impact on the big league field at any time. Um, and then defense is kind of secondary, that if he can hold his own, he can maybe get up here a, a little bit faster and find his um, his way into some playing time. Some other young guys to touch on. Um, Kobe Mayo had a double and a walk in his one game so far. Uh, Jackson Holiday 0 for 2 with a strikeout, but looked like a, a big leaguer in the field, the way he moved around and everything. You know, again, we're not going to make conclusions on such a small sample size, but I think in general, it, they're fine with where Jackson Holiday is. Again, I view him as a little bit more of a long shot to make the opening day roster. Um, he's really got a ball out on the field and he absolutely could do that and then still not even make the big league roster. So again, not going to draw too many conclusions. It's all about experience and, um, and exposing him to a big league camp, which, you know, as the son of a longtime major leaguer, he's probably not too unfamiliar uh, with, but still good to get that experience um, updated. Garrett Stallings tossed three scoreless innings, uh, no strikeouts. And this is one of those games that, where there wasn't the stat cast data. So I can't really look at velocities or anything like that. The fact that he went three scoreless indicates he probably pitched pretty well, had a little bit of movement there, but the lack of strikeouts, maybe there wasn't as much velocity on, on his stuff. But again, a good showing there for a guy that is probably going to play into the Orioles pitching situation at some point this year. He's been in the system for a little bit now after they got him from the Angels. So you'd have to think he's going to be a guy that'll that'll throw some mop-up duty or maybe make a spot start or something this year. So nice to see him have a good game there. I don't have any information on Cade Povich or Seth Johnson just yet. They're going to pitch on Monday as I'm recording this. So uh, if you're listening to this in the afternoon or, or a day after that, take a look and see how they did. I think, again, those are two that kind of fit into a similar mold to Stallings where um, they should be pitching in the big leagues at some point this year, you would think, um, and potentially have a higher upside than Stallings. So exciting to watch things there. But again, they'll probably only get an inning or two and it could go great, could go terribly. Something to watch there as well. Now let's get into the negatives here. I have just a few, and, and most of them are things that I'm not too concerned about because, again, it's only February 26th. They've got a month here, and not all this stuff matters a whole lot, but let's get into them. So the first, Jonathan Heasley struggles in his debut. Heasley's not a guy that is guaranteed a big league spot. He's not guaranteed a 40-man spot. He is currently on the 40-man roster after the Orioles acquired him from the Kansas City Royals back in December, and I think he's a guy that could potentially factor into the bullpen situation. Um, I think we, we we ran the numbers here in the last episode as far as the number of bullpen spots that are pretty much shored up. Easley certainly doesn't have one of them, but I think one of the scrap heap type additions the Orioles made this offseason is going to need to factor into the bullpen pretty early on, and Heasley is in that conversation. But um, as much as uh, stats don't matter in the spring. I think for these sort of fringy guys that are vying for a spot in the bullpen, they're only going to pitch an inning in the regular season. They're only going to pitch an inning here in the spring. They need to make those innings count. And Heasley had a, a tough debut in two thirds of an inning, allowed three hits, two runs, one home run. And that's just, a, that's just a bummer for him. I don't think that Oriole fans should be worried because again if Heasley doesn't work out they're going to turn to somebody else this isn't the closer or anything like that this is a guy that you hope pans out and does a great job for the Orioles but if he doesn't they're going to have other options but for Heasley himself um you know he's going to need to pitch a lot better than that to 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 make his case for uh the opening day roster so not a good start there we'll see more from him I'm sure as the spring rolls on 
Moving on to the closer position, Craig Kimbrell still hasn't gotten into a game yet, but not to worry. He's throwing bullpens, and that's where the news comes there, which is he ended his bullpen, I think, five pitches early, they said, due to some lower body tightness. Um, it sounds like nobody's concerned here. Kimbrell says himself that he's experienced this feeling in prior spring trainings. It could just be part of his process for kind of getting into um, regular season shape. Um, but he he didn't want to power through it, which makes total sense. You know, it's it's early. Um, no reason to push yourself and make an injury uh, when there's currently just maybe more of a tightness and an indication that you need to, you know, be stretched out a little bit more, whatever it may be. Certainly something to watch. The Orioles really need Craig Kimbrell. The bullpen, I think, will probably be fine this year, even without Felix Bautista. But again, that loss of D.L. Hall, um, it's, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit tighter than I think we were thinking it would have been a couple weeks ago. So they really need Craig Kimbrell to be at the best version of himself. So smart of smart of Kimbrell, uh, Kimbrell rather, to um, take care of himself and not push through something to make an injury, but just something to be aware of uh, moving forward. And then finally, we got a mass and broadcast on the opening day of spring training. And man, it was a little bit rough. I think the biggest issue was the main camera feed in center field. It was just so shaky that the game was almost unwatchable from that angle. I, I saw a few people on X say that they turned the game off because they just like couldn't watch it due to, you know, whatever, uh, you know, whatever things they may be dealing with there. I can totally um, sympathize with that. I was kind of had the game on in the background, so I wasn't staring at the screen the whole time. But when you did stop and look, it was like, oh, this is this is difficult. Um, it's not exactly new for Masson at spring, especially when it's windy. It's not a big league stadium with these huge um, they're not huge stadiums that block the wind like big league parks tend to do. Um, they're they're wide open, a lot of like minor league facilities. And I don't believe that they have a dedicated cameraman there or if they do. Um, they didn't give him the proper equipment to kind of make sure things could be steady, but I believe because the Orioles are doing the thing where a lot of the staff is in Baltimore at Camden Yards and then remotely doing the games. I think they have a lot of things more like technologically figured out to be remote without the need of an employee there. And I think that could be the issue here because people were saying that the Nesson feed, which is the Red Sox, um, regional sports network didn't seem to have the camera issue. Um, so I would imagine they're not using the same camera feed because if they were both would have had the same quality there. And, you know, Nesson, I think has a little bit larger of a footprint in spring than the Orioles do with their mass and situation. So they could potentially have an actual camera person. there holding the camera, studying it. It could be a, a higher quality camera. There could be a number of things there, but it really was a bummer because, you know, the Orioles haven't done a great job of broadcasting the spring games recently, I think it was what three a piece in the last two or three seasons. And this year they upped it to seven, which is great. Still, I think below average and below what your hopes and dreams would be, but better than three. Um, but when this is the quality, it's, it really kind of sours things a little bit. Um, whereas you might rather just have another team's TV feed, and then you can listen on the radio to the Orioles uh, radio broadcast team, which was an option here. The Orioles had radio for the game. You could watch the Nesson feed, not get, you know, seasick and you could enjoy the game um, all the same. So kind of a disappointing thing there. There are also some technical difficulties. I noticed they tried to interview Corbin Burns after he pitched and there was some weird stuff where he clearly wasn't hearing them early on. And that made for some awkward moments. Now that's more forgivable because I think that happens in pretty much all live broadcasts. There's some, some kinks to work out and they clearly hadn't gotten there yet, but 
you know, again, it just kind of adds to the fact that it just feels a little bit unprofessional from the mass and perspective, not for any of the employees or anything, but more from leadership to to determine, yeah, we're going to just do this game like we did in the COVID days where, you know, we're trying to save as many pennies as possible. If you listen to the the news on um, the sale of the team, it sounds like Maston isn't as profitable as you might imagine. They're going through some battles now with Comcast um, as the regular season is nearing very close. And also you understand MLB is, is planning on kind of retiring the RSN model a little bit and potentially centralizing things to make it a little bit easier for people to watch, which would be great because that's kind of been a complaint for MLB for um, years now is that it's tough to watch your team um, locally in the modern environment of, you know, cord cutting and, and the lack of people being subscribed to cable uh, subscriptions with 500 channels when you really only watch 10. Um, the, the MLB is just a little bit behind there. So we'll keep an eye on that too. Again, it's great to have spring broadcasts at all. I'm thankful for that. It's great to have radio broadcasts, but they need to be of a certain level for them to be truly enjoyable or else they're kind of more of a hindrance and an annoyance than a benefit. So Hopefully that that gets sorted out at some point in the spring. Hopefully it's not windy for the Orioles next um, Masson game um, because you really want to enjoy these games. And even though they don't matter a whole lot necessarily in the long term, um, again, this is an entertainment product and you wouldn't watch your favorite TV show if the camera was shaking around nonstop and the characters couldn't talk to one another because of a technical difficulty. So it's stuff that just does need to be cleaned up for, for I think, fan sake and that's not that's not too much to ask um you know the, the, the whole thing exists because fans pay money for um for subscriptions for tickets for merchandise which is a whole nother issue this this offseason with fanatics taking over the development i guess of the uh the on-field jerseys which we haven't gotten into here i think all's been said online about that that needs to be said um jerseys didn't look great i didn't think in the game um but they themselves didn't ruin the broadcast for me. And I'm not a person that goes out and buys jerseys. So for me individually, the jerseys aren't a huge deal, but I do understand the folks that really do care about that stuff. They're, the, the quality of those is certainly less than um, it recently has been. So some cosmetic stuff to work on for Masson and for Major League Baseball. Um, hopefully some of it gets mopped up. Um, almost, sure, almost, sur- ugh, almost surely um, not all of it will. But anyway... That was the biggest negative for me was the mass and broadcast. But um, that's all we've got for today. It was kind of a quick episode. Just wanted to get some initial thoughts out there. We've got another month left of the spring. So hopefully um, some more good stuff to talk about. Maybe the Orioles make a move. It sounds like the Red Sox are adding Jordan Montgomery. So anybody that was dreaming about that, that's probably over. But I can't think you're too surprised there. Um, but if the Orioles do make a big move, we'll certainly get on here and chat about it. Uh, and beyond that, either Eli or Jesse, I think, is going to be on here later in the week to talk about something Orioles related. So, again, if you like what you listen to and, and see here, please subscribe to us on YouTube or on your preferred podcast app. It's free and helps us out a whole lot. You can also follow us on X threads and Instagram. We're at the Warehouse Podcast. We're also on Substack, thewarehousepod.substack.com. Um, And I will provide links to all of this stuff in the description of the podcast, as well as the description of the YouTube video. So if you're interested in that, check that out. But until then, that's all I've got. My name is Tyler, and this has been the Warehouse Podcast. Thank you for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.